0: yeah good morning church yes yeah, what i'm talking about today's date is april 28 2019 and the title to today's message is building the name building the name this morning we are continuing in the resurrection power that is sin crushing power that gives us the strength and confidence to raise up our shields get out the boat and raise a banner of victory for others to see amen Our heart this morning is found in Ephesians 1, verse 17. Everybody turn there and say the name when you get there. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom and what else, saints? So that you may know him better. Who in this house needs some wisdom and revelation this morning? Yeah, I should have both hands raised up. That's what I'm talking about. Who in this house wants to know Jesus better?
1: Yeah, amen. I do too. Church, we have a special treat for you this morning. This message, I warn you, I hope, I pray that you guys can keep up. This message is going to be full of rich treasures from the Word of God. Are you ready for it? Yes. Before we start, I want to let you know, and this is the first time that Matt and I have preached together. So you may get a little bit of slap you with a Torah and t- knocked upside the head today. <laughs> Ho-ho! Bring your helmet, man. But before we start, I want to pray. Amen. Wasn't worship amazing? Yes. This morning we're talking about building the name of God. The name of God is something extraordinary, isn't it? Did you feel the power of God as we were declaring his name? Did you feel that this morning? Man, I felt it. And I tell you at the end of this message, I want to get into more of it. I want to get into more worship. I'm telling you the the end from the beginning. I want to get in more envelopment of his name, his character, and his attributes this morning. But one thing I know is it doesn't matter who's up here preaching. It doesn't matter what we say. Revelation has to come from God. That is the only way to get revelation is for God to open up the heavens, to crack open the sky, and breathe a fresh revelation into your soul this morning. Amen. So what we're going to do... As we're going to open up our hearts, we're going to ask the Lord, Lord, make me a clean slate. We're going to ask the Lord to keep us attentive, attentive, keep us awake, keep us stirred as his word pierces into our hearts and shows us the beauty of his name and the power of his nature. You guys want to pray? Yes. So mighty God, Lord, we tremble at the sound of your name. Lord, your name is awesome. You are the most high God. Lord, all other gods bow down before you because you are the only one who is worthy. You are the only one who is high and lofty. Lord, we lift you up. Lord, we set you up high today. Lord, we set you in a high place of our service this morning. We say you are the first and foremost. You are the only one powerful. Lord, we ask that you would keep us open, keep us awake, keep us alert. Help us to see with our inner man. Help us to see with spiritual eyes and hear with spiritual ears as we go through this word today. Lord, breathe into us that new revelation that will cause us to fall to the ground and worship you as the true creator of our hearts. Lord, we love you, and we want you to breathe into this place anew. Lord, we want to set aside everything else. Lord, we want to set aside everything else that is happening. And Lord, we want to dedicate and consecrate this time To you, and we say, God, move us this morning in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. So, we want to start in the book of Genesis, like all good messages start. Amen. Amen. We have a slide that we want to put up for you. We're going to start with in Genesis, there are seven names given to God. Very interesting, you know, some of us have studied. The prehistory of the book of Genesis. Anybody Has anybody studied that with Pastor Eric and Pastor Matt in Discipleship Helps? The earth. When God comes. When God begins to work in the earth. He finds the earth. Tohu vavohu. Complete chaos. Complete without order. Without any foundation. And God begins to breathe into that chaos and that destruction. A new order and a new plan. What we see in the book of Genesis is an increasing revelation that God gives to his people, to Abraham, to Israel, to to Isaac, to the nation. We see an increasing revelation. It's like God is seeing a totally lost position and he's saying, I am going to redeem this situation by inserting the revelation of who I am and what my name is. Amen. So we see in Genesis seven names that God reveals to His people. The first one comes from Genesis 926. Genesis 926 says, "And he also said, "Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem." Yeah. Any of you remember the, the message Shimming the foundation? Yes man, We we first see. The name God of something right here in Genesis. This is the first reference of God being the God of something. Isn't that incredible? It doesn't say he's the God of peace. It doesn't say he's the God of love. It says he is the God of Shem. He is Shem's God. And out of many gods that were present, Shem acknowledged and worshipped a particular God. And God chose to reveal himself through a particular people. This is key to who God is. He is the God of the Semitic peoples.
0: Number two you'll see on the slide is El Elyon. Genesis fourteen eighteen through 20 says, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Here's the first attribute or name given to God. El Elyon means he is the supreme God over all others. Is that a comforting fact to know? Yes. Isn't that something that we long for to experience at all times? Yes. The revelation that he is God over all in terms of authority. Yes. You know, there is none that equals nor supersedes him. That we have a God who is able to rival and triumph over all other gods. Amen. That should give us a
1: victorious hope. Amen? Yes. In Genesis 17, one through 2, we see God revealing himself as El Shaddai. Now, I know that scholars say that El Shaddai can mean the God who provides nourishment. But I choose in this instance to defer to the English translators. In verse 17, in uh, 17 verse 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between you and me, and I will greatly increase your numbers. Here God expresses himself as God Almighty. Almighty. Man, come on, church. How about that revelation that you get that he is almighty, that he is self-sufficient, that he is all powerful and he is capable of bringing to pass every covenant that he promises with you? Man, when that revelation sinks in that he is all powerful, you don't need anything else to help you, do you? All you have to do is cry out to God almighty and he'll be there helping and rescuing you because he can do anything He pleases. And once He lifts His hand, no one can remove it. Once God opens the door, no one can close it. He is God Almighty.
0: Well, the fourth one is El Olam. Genesis 21, 33-34. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And there he called upon the name of the Lord. And that name was the eternal God. El Olam. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Here's revealed God as the eternal God. Never going to go away. His feet are planted and they're never going to be moved. This revelation is one that was without beginning and it's without end. Doesn't it come for you to know you have a God who is never going to change. You have a God that's never going to be moved. You have a God that will always be by your side as a source of salvation and comfort.
1: In Genesis 24, 3-4. we see God expressing Himself as God of Shemaim and God of Haaretz. In Genesis 24.3 it says, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, listen to that, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Yeah. The God of heaven and the God of earth. Man, anybody got that revelation inside of you? That God is very near and He is very far off. Think about that for a second. Those two con- contrasting things. God is a God who dwells in a high and lofty place, as Isaiah declares. And yet, even though He He dwells in the highest heavens, what did Jesus teach His disciples to pray? Our Father who is in heaven. Why did He teach His disciples to say that? For you to always remember that He is not a God who is common. He is a God who is high and lofty, and He is a supernatural, He is a holy God who dwells in the highest place. Highest praises for the highest God in the highest place. He is a God who dwells in a high and lofty place, and He is the God that is on earth. He desires to be near to you. He desires to be with you in your present situation. That is an amazing revelation to hear that He is a God who is very high and lofty, and yet a God who is near to those who are humble and contrite in heart. Well
0: in Genesis 24, 12-14, God desired to be near Abraham. And as clearly seen in this passage, he is called the God of my master, Abraham. You know, whenever we begin to have ourselves dwell in God's name, his name begins to dwell within us. That the covenant promises that God makes demand our faithfulness obedience to his name, but then in return, God will demonstrate his faithfulness to us through his name as well. We have to continually dwell within His name. And then when the books are open, hopefully our names will be written in that Lamb's book of life. And every single one of those names are attached to these seven names and the characteristics of who God is. The
1: next one we come to is Genesis thirty-three twenty. God identifies Himself as our final name given as the God of Israel. Think of how profound that is. God chooses to reveal Himself as God of a singular man. Can you think, except for the God of Shem and possibly the God of Daniel and a few others, can can you find many places in the Bible where God God determines to call Himself, I am the God of so-and-so? He doesn't say, I'm the God of Peter. He doesn't say in the New Testament, I'm the God of Thomas. But He chooses to identify Himself as the God of Abraham and then later the God of Israel. It's almost like God's plan is one life, one family, one nation.
0: Come on, it's good.
1: You see, here, God chooses to exit Genesis with the revelation that he is the God of the Israelites. And from here on, he identifies as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel. God moves on from one life to one family to one nation. And he had to have, God had to have a specific nation to reveal Himself in and through to the rest of the world. God had to have that. He had to have a specific nation because He was going to use that specific nation to do something amazing. Yes. And He is still using that nation today. Amen. In Deuteronomy 4, 6-8, God says, you don't have to turn there. He tells the Israelites, observe My commands carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say... Surely this is a great nation. This nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near to them the way the Lord our God is near to us whenever we pray to Him? Do you hear God's intent in using that nation to reach the other nations? Yes. Do you see that? Yes. See, we're going to add to that today. We're going to add to the moniker, One Life, One Family, One Nation and we're going to add many nations to that one nation. Amen. It is God's plan to take his name and give it to a man so that that man would share that name with his family. And then that family would grow into a nation that bears his name. Amen. Isn't, this incred- isn't this an incredible message? Yeah. Yeah. I want you to realize we haven't even left the book of Genesis.
0: <laughs>
1: we have basically preached almost the entire gospel and we haven't left. The book of Genesis. Yet the story does not end here. You guys want to go further? Let's see where that name goes. Let's go to
0: Exodus chapter 3. And we'll start in verse 13. Say the name when you're there. Moses said to God. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them. The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me. What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? You guys ever been in this position? God's asked you and called you to do something, and you're already anticipating the opposition and rebuttal. And really, was it? what is he asking about? What authority do I have to go and tell these people these things? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you to me. God also said to Moses, I like when God adds a little bit extra too. Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of who is that? Abraham. God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Come on. To counter the fears and insecurities that Moses had to do the call and will of God, God gave him the name that would empower him to have heavenly authority. He would give him that name that summarized in just I am or Yahweh, and through that name he would stand before Pharaoh, and he would proclaim the good news of being delivered out of slavery. The name of God that was chosen by God was to be an eternal name summarized in i am god chose his name to be that lastly the name of god the name that god chose for himself was to be remembered from generation to generation what these days just within our sports realm that we can see someone hit 700 home runs win a super bowl be some type of athlete that their name becomes great but how long does it usually last Maybe a couple of months until somebody else does something great. But the God that we serve, the God that Moses served and was commissioned by to do something great has a name that will be renowned forever. That it will pass along from generation to generation.
1: It will never cease to be eternally great and magnificent. There's something special about that name. Scholars have written books trying to define what God is saying to Moses right now. He says, I am who I am. In Hebrew, this is Eye Asher Eye. It means I am who I am. I am who I will be. I, I was who I was. It's an eternal name that cannot be defined by any limit of understanding. You get that? If you were to ask Babe Ruth his name, he would say, well, Babe Ruth. And that, that's his name. That's one singular definition. But when God gives a name, it can't be defined to any quantity. You get that? And God is saying, this is the name I will be remembered for all generations. Let's move to Exodus 6, 2 through 8 as we continue to learn about that name. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 2, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. You you hear that? He says, I appeared to your forefathers as El Shideh. But my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Any of you ever thought about the fact that Moses is learning something new here? Moses is learning about something that not even Abraham got to know. Verse 4 says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they live as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. That's good news, isn't it? Yes. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will also bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand, given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Now think about that for a second. God is telling Moses, "Look, I revealed myself as El Shaddai, God Almighty to your forefathers, but my name, Yahweh, I did not reveal to them." That is incredible, isn't it? Yeah. God did not reveal his own personal name to Abraham. Man, what kind of faith did Abraham have? He didn't even know his name, and yet he still followed the God that was revealed as God Almighty. Man, that's special, isn't it? Yeah. You hear what God is saying? God is increasing the amount of revelation that He is giving. Yeah. Man, it's almost like revelation is supposed to be increasing however long you walk with the Lord. Yeah. Revelation is supposed to be increasing. Your knowledge about God is supposed to be growing the more and more Amen. you're in the faith. Amen. Your revelation of God should have grown the amount of years that you're in the faith. If you find yourself having the same revelation, knowing God only as you knew Him when He first spoke, there's a problem there. Because God seeks to increase and grow His revelation into His people. His revelation is always supposed to be progressing and getting more defined. You're supposed to be seeing God clearer and clearer as you get into the faith. As you move on from glory to glory, you're supposed to see God in a new way every day as you wake up. You're supposed to see Him one day as God of mercy and the next day you see Him as God who will burn you if you do not follow Him. And the next day you see Him as the God who is a tender loving father. You are supposed to be growing in that revelation of God. And God is taking his firstborn nation and he is growing that revelation with his firstborn nation. He is identifying himself as Yahweh and he's attaching the fulfillment of the covenant with that name. Think about that for a second. He says, look, this is my name and I'm going to do this for you. What would that do for you every time you heard that name? You would remember, He's the God who's going to fulfill what He promised for me. He's the God who's going to make it happen. What does it do to a nation who who is living in slavery, and they cry out to a God whose name that hasn't been revealed to them. And then he shows up and says, look, this is my name, and it's time to fulfill the promise that I gave to you. You would always remember that name as the covenant-fulfilling God. Exodus 15 says, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. It says later on in Leviticus, the Lord is a jealous God. Jealous is his name. You are supposed to be growing in that revelation of what that name is. Always remember that that name is his character, his attributes, and his body of work. That name encompasses something, church. When you say that name, it encompasses something. I want that to sink in this morning. This is not just a name that we throw around lightly. This is the name of the God who crushed the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Yeah. This is the name of the eternal God who will never be defeated, who will never let down his people, who, who will allow his enemies to mock him all day long so that he can come back in the end and have final victory. Amen. That is the name of our God. Amen. But I want to tell you, it doesn't stop here. <laughs> Isn't this incredible? Yeah. And yet it doesn't stop here. Amen. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Turn with me to Deuteronomy 12. Deuteronomy Ch- 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. Verse 1 says, These are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God your fathers, has given you to possess. Wow! A contract. For me, that's incredible. I like contracts. I I deal with construction, so I like to write very clear contracts. Because it'll... It, it ensures that whatever is signed on will get done.
0: Honestly, brother, it's when everybody loses their mind, they can sort things out and make it right.
1: Yeah. When everything goes to chaos, we can always go back to the contract. <laughs> Amen. But wait, God, you said, no, th- look at the contract. Exactly. God, you said you <laughs> would always love us and never exile us. Nope. Look at the contract.
0: contract. Amen.
1: Verse two says, "Destroy completely all the places in the high mountains and on the hills and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessed worship their gods." God is not interested in having side pieces to His name. Mm, come on, it's good. He is not interested in having addendums to His name. He's not. He's not interested in having other names to be set on the same plane as His name. He's not interested in that at all. You know, there's a there's a theological debate that goes around amongst uh, you know, people who think too much and they, they say, is God egotistical? You know, he's always talking about himself as if he's the best because he is. It's not egotistical. If it's true, it's egotistical. If it's not true, but with God, it is true. Therefore it's glorious and it's precious and it's awesome. God is not interested in having any other name set aside His name because it's offensive to Him. Because no other name belongs. Verse 3 says, Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord their God in their way. Man, that says a lot about what's going on in churches today, isn't it? They want to worship God in all the ways that they see around us. They want to to bring syncretism into the church and call it holiness because it feels good. And it is not holiness that's setting aside another name with God's name. But what does God tell them in verse 5? You're not to do it like they do it. You're not to do it like all the nations around you are doing it. Verse 5, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes... Mm -hmm to put His name there for His dwelling. To that place you must go. Listen to me, church. God, thousands of years ago, determined that there was going to be a place, a physical place on the earth, where He would cause His name to dwell. Isn't that incredible? Yes. Where is that place? Can you guess? It's Jerusalem. When you go to Jerusalem today... Before you go to the Temple Mount, there are signs that say, please dress in modesty. Please refrain from using any foul language. This is the place where His name dwells. And you know, as much as we see things taken out of context with so much religion, Catholicism, and other things going on there, you can't help when you go but to see God's name dwelling there. When you go, you see travelers coming from china you see large groups of people from africa you see large groups of people from europe showing up to see what a broken down wall a western wall there's no temple there anymore but you know why they show up because god's name dwells there yeah, that's good. that is the place god was interested in choosing a physical place for his name to dwell this brings us all this brings us back to one life one family one nation I want to ask you a question. God was interested in having his people build a name for himself, a physical place. That's a message in and of itself, isn't it? Where does God want you to build his name? Come on, that's a good question. What physical place is God calling you to build his name so that the nations will know that there is a God in Israel who is unlike any other God? What place is God calling you to do that? Your workplace? Your home? wherever you set your feet the grocery store god is calling us as a people to build his name in a physical place look what happened look what has happened on fuerte drive can you clearly see god's name being built there can you clearly see the nations around fuerte drive being stirred up yeah i can isn't it incredible church we still haven't even left the torah and we are seeing a beautiful message about God in a new way, aren't we?: Yes. And yet, there's more. Yeah. Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter five. Yeah.
0: You guys still hungry this morning? Yeah. Yeah. The name. The name. Say the name when you're there the name. The name. The name. So Justin was speaking of, there is a physical place that God ordained and chose for His name to dwell. And that place was Jerusalem. Many of you in this room have stood at the western wall, and right there, 15 feet on the other side where you stood was the Holy of Holies. In this exact area is the place where God chose for his name to dwell, and he began by giving a vision, giving a plan, an architectural design to his his son David. David received that plan from the heavenly realms, from God, and then David passed along that design and vision to his son Solomon. Solomon spent years and the wealth of the nation to build in obedience the vision that God had originally given to his father David and then transferred to him. And here we have the dedication of that temple. A glorious moment. You know, Solomon's rule and reign is renowned. For splendor. It's renowned for making God's name great. Because only God could have accomplished this through Solomon. Let's see how it was inaugurated. When all the work Solomon had done for the temple of the Lord was finished. He brought in the things his father David had dedicated. The silver and gold. Say silver and gold. Silver and gold. You're going to need to remember that later on. And all the furnishings. And he placed them in the treasury of God's temple. Then Solomon summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and chiefs of the Israelite families, to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant. You know, we see a progression here. We have a completion of work. Young men, older men, you have work to do, but you have to complete it in the name of Jesus. And to that work that gets complete, what's added to it is the treasuries of God's kingdom. His divine nature and His divine redemption. That's that gold and that silver. Along with that is the very center of His presence. That Ark of the Covenant. That thing that you would carry on your shoulders that the glory of God would reside upon. And all the men of Israel came together to the king at the time of the festival in the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived. So I just want to make a note real quick. This is scriptural precedent, that we are to wait on our elders even though they are running late. God gives approval to elders showing up a little bit after everyone else. The Levites took up the ark, and they brought up the ark and the, the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests who were what kind of people? The priests who were Levites, those that were attached to the God's the God side carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel. So not just an eclectic group, not just the elders, but we're talking about the entire assembly of Israel showed up for this dedication. They had gathered about him, were were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. That's a lot of sheep. That's a lot of cattle. That's a lot of sacrifice that everyone is making for the effort to be consecrated and holy before God. Come on, we can't depend on just those around us to carry our holiness for us. That we are called to be that Levitical priesthood to stand before God, holy and pure before Him, no matter what level of sacrifice it takes to get to that point. But here's the beautiful part. This is one of, I think, my top... One of my top five scriptures in all the word. The priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. Come on, holiness is a must for all priests, no matter where your feet stand or what duties you've been assigned. Amen. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeteers and singers joined in what, saints? Unison. You know, before we ever sometimes show up to worship and begin to sing, we're joining in the unison of holiness and consecration before we ever utter a musical note out of our mouth. That in order for us to be that purified and refined priesthood, able to carry the ark of God's presence on our shoulders, we gotta be in unison with His holiness so then we can be in unison with each other. And as a result, as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices in praise to the Lord God and sang. They had a unified obedience. That then led to this song being sung. He is good and his love endures forever. Then the temple. Say then the temple. temple. Now we've been speaking to you about his name. His name. The seven characteristics. The importance and value and weight of his name. But his name was to dwell in that temple. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud. This was a heavenly presence that would fill this temple. It would envelop it. In fact, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. What are we aiming for every time that we get together as a body? We're aiming for the unity that comes through holiness so that the glory of God fills this temple. Amen. And to the point where one drop from heaven in five seconds can outweigh that of sermons that may go on for five or ten years. Would you ever experience that? You've heard sermon after sermon. You've read the word on a daily basis. But it doesn't compare to that moment when the glory of God outweighs the ability of the priesthood. That he drops his revelation into you. and You know him better than you ever have before. We need that cloud from heaven. We need that glory to fill this temple. Solomon was completing the work and vision that was originally given to his father David. That the place that his glory would dwell would go out from there and that Zion would be the epicenter of it. What a day this must have been. The priests were not able to perform their service. They just got shekinahed. They got Shekinahed. So in that moment, when you get that revelation from heaven, because the glory of God has overwhelmed the works of the priesthood, you just got Shekinahed in the face. I want to get shekinah today in the name of Jesus. They were put on pause by the glory of God because God's name was then dwelling in his temple because his people were dwelling in the holiness of his name.
1: Oh man, that's exciting, church. Can you imagine a day like that? Can you imagine a service like that? Where everyone is so excited because they're they're saying, look, this is the place where God said his name would dwell, and it's finally done, and now his name's gonna dwell amongst us. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine seeing the the in Hebrew Shekinah or the Shekinah? Could you imagine seeing that and feeling it? Yeah. Can you imagine the kind of worship service where it doesn't matter what time it is because his presence is so real? You see, I'm tired. I am tired of, of the idea that coming down at the altar and, and bowing down on a knee or laying on your face means that you're repenting and, and repenting only. I'm tired of that notion. Yeah. Yeah. And instead, I would like to see people fall flat on their face because they're just in awe of the God of Israel, Amen. that they Amen. are in awe That they are glorying, that they are filled, their their minds are filled with the knowledge of God who is in the room. See, I wanna see more of that, don't you? Yes. There's something special about that place. Finally, the attachment is complete, but we know the story. God promised that His name would dwell there, and yet the people of Israel could not keep that contract, and therefore God cast them out and He destroyed that temple. But God, in His faithfulness, He promised he would rebuild that temple. He promised that it would be rebuilt. And as by the time we come to the second temple, which this ought to be a beautiful message. The fact that that temple is destroyed doesn't mean that God's name goes and dwells somewhere else. It was still there. And it's still there today. By the time we get to the second temple, though, there's a couple of prophetic passages that we want to highlight about that second temple. Do you want to see them? Yes. I promise you, you haven't seen this before. You ready? Turn with me to Haggai chapter 2 and verse 6. Say the name when you get there. This is worth everybody reading. There was something promised about that second temple that was not promised about the first. In Haggai chapter 2 verse 6 it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while... I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. Now, what's happening in Haggai? They're building the second temple. They're in the process of building, which was a rocky process. I mean, it wasn't like Solomon's temple. It all got built with the help of foreigners. No, this was being built in spite of foreigners. They were trying to stop the work while it was going on. And the temptation was... For those who saw the second temple, the temptation was to think about the first temple. And you remember in, in Nehemiah when they started weeping. Because they, they remembered the first temple and its glory. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. The glory was so great that it caused those that saw it to weep when they saw the second temple. Yeah. Verse 7 says, I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Man, The desired of the nations will come. Who is that, church? We'll keep going and you'll find out. I'll take your silence as an absence of an answer. Verse 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant Peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And in this place, what place was that? The second temple. The second temple, I will grant peace, God was saying. That brings a question to mind. How could God say that the glory of the second temple would be greater than the first? How could God say that? Because as, as far as I can tell, reading the scriptures, there's something missing in the second temple. Yeah. You have no record of the Shekhinah at the second temple. Yeah. The Ark of the Covenant was not at the second temple. Solomon was not at the second temple. The Davidic king. There was no Davidic king reigning at the time that the second temple was being built. Can you, can you imagine that? No Davidic king. There's no artifacts of the temple. No menorah. No altar of incense. None of those. Yeah. It was just a temple put in the place that God told Israel his name is Dwell. So how is it going to be greater? How was the second temple going to be more glorious? Come on. It is because the desired of the nations would show up at that second temple. It was prophesied hundreds of years before Messiah would come that he had to come during the second temple on the earth. Come on. Listen to this. If there are any Jewish. Men and women listening, listening on the internet, it was prophesied that Mashiach would come during the second temple. It was prophesied. So what were they waiting for? How would it be more glorious? Not because the physical shekhinah would be there. It's because Jesus, the King of Kings, would walk in that second temple. Come on, that's good. That is how the second temple would be more glorious.
0: Let's go to Malachi 3 and see this prophetic element even further. Starting at verse 1, say the name when you're there. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Who is this messenger of the covenant? Yeshua, it's Jesus. When he enters that temple, even at eight days old, the glory is beginning to fill that second temple mentioned in Haggai. Where is he coming to? His temple. There is a physical place on earth that Messiah placed his feet to begin that restoration of all nations, but starting with the nation of Israel. Verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of what? Silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. The very things that we were speaking of earlier when dedicating the temple. That what God is seeking to do is refine and purify the divine nature and redemption starting at the temple in Jerusalem and going out to the ends of the earth. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in the former years. What we are able to celebrate and participate right now and as Gentiles, is the fulfillment of Haggai, is the fulfillment of Malachi, that we have heard the words of the messenger of the covenant, and where he first placed his feet was in the temple in Jerusalem. And the very fact that you and I are in love with him, in covenant with him, right this minute, is a fulfillment of God's promise, that there would be a refining of silver, there would be a refining of gold, and it would reach the nations.
1: This was so clear, that the Jews in the Newer Testament understood that Jesus had to come. That Messiah had to come at that time. Yeah. And that's why they asked Herod. That's why Herod asked about it and he sought to kill him. Because he was afraid. He knew it was coming. This is repeated in Daniel 9, 25. Starting verse 24. It says, 77's are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression. To what church? Finish, finish, finish. transgression. What did yeah. Jesus say on the cross? It It is is finished. finished. To put an end to sin. What does the Scriptures declare? Sin no longer has its hold on you. In Romans 6. To atone for wickedness. What does the Gospel declare? That through His blood, we have atonement for our sin. Amen. To bring in everlasting righteousness. You have been credited righteousness, Romans 4 talks about. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the Most Holy. Verse 25, no one understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the what? Anointed The one. anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So let's not get bogged down right now. I know we mentioned a lot of sevens. Let's not get bogged down in the, the seven sevens and the 62 sevens. Okay? We want to talk eschatology. We'll do that after when we meet up tonight for fellowship. The focus is that these things would happen while the second temple, between the time of the second temple being rebuilt and the time the second temple would be destroyed. You catch that? Messiah had to come between those two times. Even though this was known, many misunderstood Messiah's mission. Let's all turn to Mark 13.
0: And be sure to not put yourselves on a platform that looks down on the disciples as we read this. Because I am certain that every single one of us, if we were in their position, would have missed the Messiah's mission. Yeah. Right? So in starting in verse 1, as he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, I bet you that disciple is glad that his name wasn't mentioned in the book of Mark. One of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Uh, Who's ever been to Washington, D.C. before? Raise your hand, right? You walk around. Is it beautiful architecture? Absolutely. I remember standing and looking at the pillars and going, how in the world did they get all of that stone up there? How did they build this way back when they didn't have cranes like we have now? You know, our eyes are drawn to the natural glory of buildings. As you can see, we don't put much investment in the glory of a building. And for the purposes that our investment goes into the glory of what fills the building. That is the people of God. But aside from just this church building, what do you find your eyes always drawn to? Are you just like the disciples? And whenever the Messiah is trying to complete a mission through you or through one of your brothers and sisters, are you looking more at the natural beauty and glory of it? That can be one of the things that is just a reality of being a follower of Jesus and obedient to his commands. Our hearts, though we don't want to admit it, are drawn to the immediate results of our efforts. And here's what I mean. We come down here to the altar. Yes, Lord, refine me, purify me. I want to be used by you. I want your name to be made great through me. And then you walk outside the doors. You have an opportunity at lunch. You go to the waiter. You begin to share the gospel with him. He's a bit receptive. You feel the power of God moving through you. You're implementing very scriptures that you heard not three hours prior. And all of a sudden, their receptiveness turns cold. And they begin to shut down, and they may even dismiss the very things that you're saying. But you feel the power of God moving through you. You're looking at just the natural side of things. You're looking for an external reception to an internal response. And then you walk away from that meeting, and you're going, God, did did, did I miss something? Was uh, Did I say it wrong? Did I, you know... Make a funny face and that put him off. The external glory is not what God is after. He is after the eternal glory. Let's see what Jesus responds with here. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. He was speaking of something more than just the natural. He was speaking of the supernatural as His body was torn apart. As He was on the cross, as He endured that pain and that suffering, even to the point of death. To what extent are you willing to match that to see the eternal glory of the God in light or in the exception of the external glory? What are your eyes drawn to? They need to be drawn towards Laying down your life just like he did so that the glory can fill the temple that represents his name. That name of I am.
1: You see, God gives his name to the patriarchs. Then he gives, he he gives his, he defines himself by seven attributes to the patriarchs. Then he gives his name to Moses. Then he says that there's going to be a place for his name to dwell Then he prophesies that something great will happen in that place and his name will dwell. And then, can you imagine that creating kind of a a worldly view in the disciples' minds? They're going, look, look at these great buildings. Look at these magnificent stones. This is the place where God dwells. And Jesus was focused on something else. In John 2.19, the same thing happens again. The Pharisees were focused on something else. They asked Jesus, give us a miraculous sign. Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. You see, Jesus is starting to introduce something new here. He's not just talking about the name dwelling in a physical place only. Yes, it's going to dwell in a physical place. But not only will that name dwell. Not only will that Shekinah dwell in a physical place. Jesus is going to start working to have that name and that Shekinah dwell in our bodies. Come on, that's good. On.
0: Matthew twelve six says, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here what must that day look like? So for 1,500 years or so, they have celebrated the greatness of the temple that once stood there, the rebuilding of it, Herod restoring it, and Jesus is standing in it and said, one greater than the temple is here. How exactly was he greater? Let's look at this in Hebrews 1, starting at verse 3. Say the name when you're there.
1: You guys still with us this morning? You getting something out of this? Is the name becoming more and more precious to you? You know, Justin, I think this message
0: is keto, brother. (laughs) It's nothing but protein. It's it's all meat. The sun is the what? The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact repetition of his being. You know how he was greater? Is that his glory was greater than the temple because he was the radiance of God's glory. That he was the exact representation of exactly who the Father was. There was no flaw. There was no one degree of difference. But when you saw Jesus, you saw the Father. When you saw the temple, the physical temple standing there, there might have been a couple of flaws. It was patterned off of what was shown to Solomon. But in Jesus' There are zero flaws. That's what made him greater. Sustaining all things by his powerful words. His words were greater than the temple because they were powerful enough to sustain all things. You know, the law would go out from that temple area. The word of God would would spread forth. But in Jesus would be contained all of God's word. And from him would go out the very word that would sustain all living things. We continue on, after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he had inherited is superior to theirs. The name of Jesus is superior to the temple and all other names because he was the only one who could provide purification from all sins and have the ability to sit down at God's right hand. You know, Jesus received the name of the Father in order to provide unity with the Father. Let me say it again. Jesus received the name of the Father in order to provide unity with the Father. That's highlighted in John 17, 11. You can write down for your notes. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you
1: gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. That reminds me of Philippians 2, 9-11. says, Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the, the what church? The name. The, the name that is above every name. He gave Him the name that is above every name. That at that name... Of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father has given the name that is higher above every name. Think about that in terms of what we've learned. Think about El Shaddai. Think about El Elyon, El Olan. The God of Israel, think about Yahweh, and now He has given Jesus the name that is above every name. And at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus the Mashiach, Yeshua the Mashiach, is Lord to the glory of His Father. That's incredible. The work that Jesus did, now think about this in light of the prophecies in the Minor Prophets. He provided an end to sin. He provided atonement. He provided all of these things. He granted peace in the second temple. Yeah. The work that Jesus did allowed God's name to be built into Him so that He can build that name into you. Yeah. He allows you to have that name as you bow down to Him and confess with your mouth His name. Come on. He is the glory that was revealed in the temple, and He is the name that was given to us. Yeah. He, he was given to us. He is. Jesus is the walking Shekinah. Yeah. He's the walking Shekinah, and He is the walking Hashem. And He's given that to us, that we may bow down and confess it. Amen. His work in building that name. We're talking about Jesus' work. Jesus was a key element in this plan for God to build the name. And his work in building the name now transfers to those who believe in the name. You see, Jesus did work to build God's name. Now he transfers that work to you, church. That work in building God's name. That work in building the Shekinah on earth. That work in building the name of God on this earth. Amen.
0: Saints, do y'all have work to do? I mean, I don't just mean getting your thoughts right or holiness right. Do you have kingdom work to actually do? Paul, you got work to do, right? Damon, you got work to do. Marlon, you got work to do. The way that we carry this out is going to be found in his name. Let's look at this in Mark chapter 16. Verse 17. Say the name when you're there. The name. The name. And these signs will accompany those who believe. So that begs to ask the question, saints, are you believers in Yeshua? Yes. In my what? Name. In my name, they will drive out Demons. Do you need to drive out demons this morning? If you do, it's time to start building on the name. Use that name. You know, every single person in this room qualifies for Mark 16 of what will accompany when you believe. You know, every person in this room has the power to stand toe-to-toe with a demon and use the name of Jesus and expect it to be cast out. You don't need a special class. You don't need a certificate of completion. You just need the name of Jesus. Early in my walk, the Lord was teaching me how to use his name. And three to four times in a row, when taking a nap or waking up from sleep, a heavy presence sat upon my chest. Fear gripped me. I was awake, but I was paralyzed. I couldn't even open my eyes, but I was fully aware of what was going on around me. Prior to that, I've been studying about the righteousness of his name. And in that moment, I began to cry out, Lord, help me, save me. And you know what he told me? He said, use my name. I didn't quote a scripture because I couldn't move my mouth. I forced the name of Jesus out of my mouth. And the minute that I did, that dark and heavy, overwhelming presence leaped off of my chest and ran like a cat, if you're chasing it with a water hose. It was a little minion of demonic disturbance. Saints, you have the power that to possess that name that will drive out demons. There's no one in this room who's exempt from that. In addition to that, you will speak in new tongues. Come on, in this house, we want... The Holy Ghost power that gives us the ability to speak in new tongues. Because my words, your words sometimes are just not good enough. Now this is not only that heavenly gift of glossolalia or experiencing Pentecost power. But what about with your just native tongue? Do you need a a new form of speech in English? And look, I'm not a very good orator. I make up words as I preach. I mispronounce them all the time. Magnificent. Yeah, that's what I'm known for. But I'm talking about the utterances of your heart that come out of your mouth. Do you need a new speech this morning? And it's only found by building on that name, letting the name of Jesus guide everything that comes off of your tongue. Next, they will pick up snakes with their hands. For you visitors, we have a jar of them in the back that we will bring out after the service. And... When they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. We also have jars of strychnine and cyanide ready for you. No, all that's a joke. Just make sure it's a joke. But we have the power to encounter deadly circumstances. There is no age restriction or limitation on this. Every person in this room who is a believer in Jesus has the power of that name to face deadly circumstances. And they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. If you're under the age of 12, raise your hand. Come on, look around. These hands, saints, when these hands believe and use the name of Jesus, they can heal sick people and we can expect them to get well. This is the power that we possess in his name. What is that name, though? Come on, what is that name? Because it said clearly in Mark 16, in my name. And who is speaking? So what's that name they're going to use to fulfill Mark 16?
1: Jesus! Come on. What an incredible revelation. That God is giving His people a place for His name to dwell. And in that place, He puts His name in them. Yes. And He puts that Holy Spirit Shekinah glory in them. Yes. And from there, the apostles and the disciples and all of the people of God, they begin to do extraordinary things. They begin to proclaim that name. They begin to reflect that Shekinah all around them. Yeah. I'm going to reference a, a couple of scriptures to get your mind flowing, but look at what the disciples did after they realized that the promised Messiah came and did the work to build the name. In Acts 2.46, it says every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. Acts 3.1, it says that one day Peter and John were going up to the temple. At the time of prayer, Acts three seven says that they took a man by the right hand. He jumped to his feet. Then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping, praising God. Acts five twenty. God tells Peter and John out of prison, go stand in the temple courts. Acts five twenty one. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts. Acts. 525. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are in the temple courts teaching the people. Yes. Acts 541 verse 42. This is the big one. The apostles left the Sanhedrin re- rejoicing because they have been counted worthy of yes. suffering disgrace for the name. Come on, They counted it they, They were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy for building the name and suffering disgrace for that name. Day after day, in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, this is what was spoken through the prophets. Jesus set God's name on better footing. In the temple that it was promised to. And now the disciples are continuing the work of setting that name on better footing in the temple. You have to ask yourself, church. Did Haggai prophesy about Jesus or did he prophesy about the disciples? Both. Yes. Yes. Amen. He prophesied about Jesus, but what Jesus would do through the disciples. What What the disciples were doing was the continuation of building that God's name where it would dwell forever. And they were bringing the Shekinah to the earth. Reminds me of Ezekiel 10, verse 1. Ezekiel 10, verse 1 is a vision from Ezekiel. And Ezekiel seeing... The Shekinah glory coming and dwelling over Jerusalem. And he's seeing cherubim. And the cherubim are taking something and they're giving it to a man. Can you imagine who that man is? Don't be afraid, church. What's that name? What did the elders say say to John? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What's that name, church? You can use it. Verse 6, when the Lord commanded the man in linen... Take fire from among the wheels. Fire from among the cherubim. The man went in and stood beside a wheel. Verse 7. Then one of the cherubim reached out his hand to the fire that was among them. He took some of it and he put it into the hands of the man in linen. And the man in linen took it and went out. I don't know about you, church, but I see a picture of Jesus taking fire from the altar and going out with it. You see, we say that the book of Acts is called the book, the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Yeah, Any of you ever heard that? Yeah, I think it's totally wrong. I think it should be called the Acts of the risen King of Kings through His disciples. Yeah, really? I think the book of Acts should be called the Acts of the disciples empowered with the fire that Jesus gave them. When the glory filled the second temple, look, look here in verse 4. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. The cloud filled the temple and the court was full of the radiance of the glory of the Lord. When that cloud filled the temple, there was what, church? There was radiance. Come on, say it. There was radiance. There was radiance in the courts when that glory filled the temple. There was radiance in the courts when the disciples filled with the Shekinah that Jesus gave, filled with that name that Jesus transferred, there was radiance in the temple. And the Pharisees hated it. The Pharisees hated it because they hated God. Not all the Pharisees. I don't want to generalize. But the ones who hated God hated it because they hated that radiance. They wanted to stay in their wickedness. Come on, when you get filled with the glory of God, when you get filled with Jesus, radiance comes into your life. You stop being downcast. You stop looking tired. You stop looking sleepy. And radiance fills you. Man, I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you. I called Judah this week and I needed some radiance in my life. And he said, brother, you just need to get in the Spirit of God because your flesh will never give you radiance. Come on. When good. you come to Jesus, the King of Kings, and He fills your temple, your body, with His Shekinah glory, with His name, you are filled with radiance, church. Come on. That is the goal today, that we stop Living. And sunkenness and sullen attitudes. Stop living like we're victims and start dwelling in radiance in this house. Because we're going to make His name glorious in this place. We're going to make His name glorious in our lives. We're going to make His name glorious in this temple. And we're going to be filled with the radiance that comes from Him. Come on.
0: Something like this demands a response. And a response with action. And I hear the sentiment found in Exodus 34 verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the testimony in his hands. Well, the word of God was in his arms. He was coming down to bring life. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spent, because he had spoken with the Lord. What does that intimate time of being face to face with God result in? Radiance. Radiance. Come on, exactly what Justin is saying. That he's encouraged by his brother. Your flesh cannot give you a radiant face. No,
1: that's
0: it. As much as you stretch and pull the sides of your face to give yourself a facelift, it will never compare to the radiance of God's glory on it. Yeah. Yeah. And the result is you won't even be aware of it. Well, those people that get cosmetic surgery and facelifts, they can't even drink a cup of water for three months. <laughs> They have to walk around with a plastic sheathing around their neck. But when we receive that facelift, the glory of God, because we're meeting with God, we're speaking to Him face to face, we walk around and we can't even feel the tension. We're able to drink of heavenly living water. And more importantly, when we get around other people, there is a distinction. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant. And they were afraid to come near him. Ooh. This reminds me of Psalm 34. Yeah, I saw the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are Rain. radiant. Man. Their faces are never covered with shame. What does it look like sometimes when you walk through these doors? Your faces are covered with shame. It's evident that you haven't been speaking with the Lord, but rather you've been speaking with your flesh. Mm. That you're downcast. But the hope that we have is that we don't have to stay there. We can allow our, our flesh to be crucified so that our spirits are lifted up and we get that Holy Ghost facelift. Yeah. Then our faces become radiant, free of shame, free of guilt. The burden is cast off and then we're able to unify with the Lord and unify with other people. We are called to radiate His name by radiating His glory through our face.
1: Hey, you know who else looked to the Lord and was made radiance? How about Stephen? Yeah. Yeah. see, in Acts 6, it says that they were arguing with Stephen, and they seized him, and he was brought before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses and testified. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, verse 15 says... They were looking intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like that of an angel. Later on, he preaches his heart out. And in verse 57, it says they, at this, they covered their ears. They were gnashing. They were yelling at the top of their voices. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone them. As Stephen was being stoned, he looked up. What did he do, church? He looked up. He looked up and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Je- oh, good. Stephen looked up. He saw Jesus and he was made radiant. You see, what happens when you're filled with the Shekinah and you're building on the name of God, when you're full of the name of God, it'll cost you something. Yeah. When you're full of the Shekinah glory, it will cost you your life. Ask Stephen. Yeah. It cost Stephen his life. It cost Israel many, many lives. Israel bore the name throughout generations and it has cost them many lives. Just like Israel, it will cost you your life. If you want to bear the name of God, it's going to cost you something, church. You're going to have to be willing to pay that cost. But you want to know something? If you're willing to pay the cost, you know what Revelation 3.12 says about you? It says that to him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God and never again will he leave it. You see, God desired to have a place on the earth where his name would dwell. And that's you, church. You are the place where his name would dwell. You are the temple. You are being built into that temple. You are the place that God wants his name to dwell in. And it says never again will you leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. Come on, you want that name written on you, church? Yes. Man, if you overcome, I'm telling you, you will never be removed from being a pillar in God's house. God has moved from from a physical place... God still cares about that physical place. It's still central to His plan. And yet He chooses you for His name to Ooh. dwell in. He wants to make you into yeah. His temple. He wants to make you into a holy temple that is capable of the Shekinah glory filling that temple. Come on, Man, wouldn't good. that be nice yeah. today if we can come down to the altar and experience the Shekinah glory, not just in this place, yeah. not just in this physical room, But in our temples. Man, that's what we need this morning, church. We need a renewal inside our temples. Sometimes, like Hezekiah, you got to stop letting other people come into your temple. You got to stop bringing other kings to come check out what's inside. And you need the king of kings to come inside and set up shop in this temple. Come on, he's
0: lighting us on fire this morning, saints. Lighten it up. Say with me, say, I am his temple.
1: I am his temple.
0: And his spirit needs to dwell in me. His needs to dwell in First Corinthians 3:16 says, "Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's spirit lives in you." Amen. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. His temple was designed to have His spirit dwell in it. You didn't have a choice in the matter? God made you in his image, he made you to be a temple, and he made you and designed you to be inhabited by his spirit. Mm. So when you defile your temple with acts of disobedience and willful sin, you're not just defiling the temple, you're defiling his name. You're defiling the glory that he has filled that temple with. Now, can I give you guys a clarification? When we're talking about defiling the temple, I'm not talking about eating a bag of Cheetos or... Half a, a whole cheesecake. The type of defiling that I'm speaking of is eating a plate full of gossip or drinking a pipe of offense. Come on, if it was reliant upon our physical stature and being and ridding ourselves of everything that contaminates our, our molecular system, then we would have to leave this planet altogether. Because cursed is the ground for your sake. That everything that comes from it is cursed. Mm. That my flesh is rotting and it's dying. And there's only one cure to have resurrection power inside of it. And that is to dwell within the name of God so that the glory of God can dwell inside of me.
1: Yeah. Church, in 1 Corinthians 6, and verse 18, it says, flee from sexual immorality. I'm going to say that again. Flee from sexual immorality. Yeah. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Why is that a problem? Because your body is supposed to dwell the Shekinah glory inside of it. Yes. In yeah. yeah. your body is supposed to dwell God's name. Yeah. Your body is supposed to radiate with the same kind of glory yes. that radiated in the first temple. Yeah. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Paul is pleading, stop. Stop sinning sexually. Don't you know that you're offending the Holy Spirit who's trying to live? You are not your own. Verse 20, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You are a temple being built as a place for God's name to dwell. Let me ask you something. Do you want to be a temple to Baal? No. Do you want to be a temple to Ashtoreth? No. Do you want to be a temple to Molech, the detestable God? No. no. Or do you want to be a temple to Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God? Yeah. Amen. You see, when you think of it like this, when you think of your body as a temple, it changes what you do. We all want the Shekinah glory dwelling in our bodies, don't we? Yeah. We all want to radiate the name of God for, out from us. But when you sin sexually, it is like dragging a pig on the altar of your heart and sacrificing it before God. That has to stop. That has to stop. Today we are calling. We are going to call in just a little bit. We've got a few more scriptures. I know some of you are getting antsy. Everyone's going up to go to the restroom to get some snacks, whatever you're doing. But this morning, we're going to call for the Shekinah glory to fill. We're going to make His name glorious in this place. But it has to start with holiness. When Jesus came... What did he do? He tried to cleanse the temple because that was a place where God's Holy Spirit would dwell and would be a place of prayer for the nations. God wants to dwell in you so that the nations can see that there is a God in Israel. God wants to dwell in you so that the people around you can see that he is a God who keeps his covenants. Amen. Y'all want to be refined this morning?
0: Yeah. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's look at what that refinement process looks like. And as we read this, I want want you to evaluate your hearts. So you may say, you know what, Pastor? I don't eat a plate of disobedience or drink a pint of offense. I'm not in sexual immorality. But I want your hearts to crave refinement because his name deserves it. His glory deserves it. His temple deserves it. 1 Peter 2 verse 1. Therefore rid yourselves of all malice. How much malice? All deceit. How much deceit? All hypocrisy. Envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies. Crave pure spiritual milk. You know at the altar... A lot of times people come down and they begin to rid themselves of the cravings of their sinful nature. But one thing that they forget is that when they get up, they are to crave what is righteous. Come on, we've got to replace that craving. I want to instruct you, as you come down to the altar, begin to get your heart right before God, ridding yourselves of these things, asking God to refine and purify your heart like silver and like gold. Also ask for instruction of how to crave righteousness like a newborn babe. We've got babies filling up our church. Newborn babes eat somewhere between every hour and a half or two hours. Isn't that right, Nolan? Exactly. I can tell by your tired eyes. (laughs) But what's the purpose of craving? So we've rid ourselves. We crave pure spiritual milk righteousness. But it's designed for an end purpose so that by it you may grow up, say grow up. grow up grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted the Lord is good we have a responsibility to read. we have a responsibility to crave but we have also a responsibility to grow up Amen. we want to raise up righteous men and women in this house men and women of God that can carry his name, be that purified temple and the glory of Shekinah shine through you Verse four, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy what saints offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are that spiritual house. We are that temple of the living God. We are the, that holy and refined priesthood carrying his name. We are offering spiritual sacrifices so that God's glory responds and fills our temple. We are building the name of Jesus that is superior to
1: every single name. Church, if you would stand with us. Ephesians 2.19 To become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. I want you to picture that day when Solomon Solomon dedicated the temple. I want you to picture that day. Joyous assembly. Sacrifices, too numerous to count. People, the entire assembly filled with joy. Because what was promised to them is finally coming to pass. God responds by sending His Shekinah glory to fill that temple. And that glory was so powerful, no one could move. None of the priests could do their service. That must have been an amazing day. And what Jesus has done is greater than that. What Jesus has done is He's taken Himself, which is the walking Shekinah glory, Himself, which is the living and breathing name of God. He's the highest name above every name. And He gave Himself for us so that we can build God's name. So that we can have the Shekinah dwell in our temples, our bodies. So that we can carry that name to the nations. Church, I want to worship with you guys. I feel in my heart that there's some repentance needed. Just like in Solomon's dedication, there's some sacrifices that need to be made. But where I want to end up So I want to end up in that same kind of worship we had on Wednesday night where we are worshiping the living God together. Where His presence is filling this house so strongly and He's filling our bodies so strongly. We can't do anything but worship Him. You know what I said earlier about I would like to see more people at the altar not repenting because they've done some grievous sin. Come on, we're tired of it. Tired of that. I would like to see people at the altar because the Shekinah is so powerful that they just want to be near him. That's what I want to see. The call today is to come. Just like Jesus died and was resurrected, just like Jesus was elevated to the right hand of God, let's die today so that the Shekinah glory may fill us, so that we may go and bear the name of God on us that we may go and radiate with all of the Shekinah glory of God and share that with the world. Let's ask God to do something different. Let's not just end the service just to end the service. Would you guys like to experience the powerful presence of God right now? I believe we can do it. But what it's going to take is it's going to take a commitment between all of God's people who are here today committing themselves that we want that Shekinah glory to fall we want to make his name glorious, we want to rise up from the ashes, we want to look to him and be radiant and we're not going to do anything else until it actually happens now we're going to get to a point we're going to call to the altar after we pray we're going to get to a point where we're going to repent, I would like to end with everyone together at at the front worshiping with one voice I'm ready to feel that awesome presence of God. Amen? Father, we invite you to this place. Lord, your name is awesome and you are wonderful. Father, we come before you asking, Lord, please, please cleanse this temple. Lord, some of us have defiled our temples. Lord, we want you to dwell in it. Lord, we thank you that you are a God so near to us when we call out to you. Lord, there is no God like you. Lord, you, you have the very words of life in You. And we call out to You now. We call out Your name and we ask, please come and cleanse us. Please refine us. Please wash us with soap and refine us with fire, mighty God. So that me, we may be a temple pleasing to You. That we may be pleasing to You and holy in Your sight. Lord, we want to be living sacrifices. We want to be holy before You. Lord, we want to dwell before You in a community. Lord, please increase the unity in this house. Lord, we know that unity comes with holiness, God. So we ask that holiness would come, that the spirit of holiness would come and cleanse us, mighty God. Lord, not just the spirit of feeling warm, not just the spirit of speaking in tongues, but the spirit of holiness would come this morning, mighty God, and radically cleanse our temples. Lord, we want to experience that inner fire. Lord, that inner Shekinah. Lord, we want to radiate with your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.